All right, well, this morning, we are continuing on in our message in our series titled Malachi's Modern Message. Malachi's Modern Message. And in it, we've been following this conversation that God has been having with his children. And it kind of looks to us like God is sitting down across the table to talk to a rebellious, obstinate teenager that he has, and uh, he wants to have a conversation about their behavior. And the first thing that he said to them was, I love you. I have loved you. And we saw this in chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. The people kind of doubted God. They were suspicious of God's love for them. But God said, I have loved you with covenant love and, and covenant faithfulness. And then the second thing God said to them was, how are you loving me back? Are you responding to my love the way that you should be responding? Are you loving me with everything that you have? And, and they had this weak, lame, diseased worship offering that they were being. But God was challenging them to respond to everything that he is with everything that they were, right? That's God's challenge to us. Now, today, we're going to pick up where that conversation left off. And now, God wants to have a conversation with them about their relationships with each other. So the title of today's message is Malachi's Message of Relationships. Malachi's Message of Relationships. Now, before we get into the scripture we're looking at today, I want, I want you to notice something about how this conversation is progressing. Because at this point, a really interesting progression is beginning to emerge. And it shows us something about God's agenda for his people and for this conversation that he's having with them. And it shows us something about God's agenda for our lives as well. How many of you know that God has an agenda for your life? Right? You're not just you know, saved and then it's like just float around uh, for the rest of your life until finally he takes you to heaven. He has an agenda for your life. And, and we could look at all sorts of scriptural things that God wants to do, but I think in the broadest terms possible, God's agenda for your life is to make you look more like Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. According to Romans 8.29, he is determined to conform you to the image of his son. He wants you to look and act and think more and more like Jesus every day. And God is wise. He knows just what you need to hear. He knows just what we need to hear next in order to help us look more like Jesus. He knows when you need a word of encouragement. He knows when you need a word of exhortation, and he knows when you need a word of correction. God knows how to achieve his agenda in our lives. And so here, as this conversation is progressing, we're now seeing something of God's agenda that reveals something important about how God works in our lives. And so here's the progression. God starts by saying, I have loved you. And then the next thing God says to them is that they should respond to this love by loving him back because he's a great God. They should love and honor and respect and revere him. And now, God's going to talk to them about their relationships with each other. He's going to talk to them about how they should treat each other. Now, does this sound familiar to anyone? I mean, this pattern, this progression? I mean, if you've been a Christian for very long, this pattern should look familiar to you because we see it all through the Bible and especially in the New Testament. kind of goes like this. The loving God lovingly sent his his son into the world because he loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were yet sinners, God 
loved us. God says, I love you. And then this loving son of God looks at us and says, here is the greatest commandment. This is the most important thing. This is your most important responsibility. You should respond to God's love by loving him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That is the most important thing to do while you're here on this earth. And then he went one step further and said, and the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others as you want to be treated. And all through the scriptures we see this pattern. God loves us, we should respond by loving him back, and then that should cause us to love others. And so I want you to see that this is the same pattern that's emerging here in this conversation that God is having with his people in Malachi. I love you, you should love me back, now let's talk about how you're treating one another. So let's look at it. We're going to look at just one verse today as far as Malachi is concerned. It's Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. All right, let's look at that. It says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Let me read that one more time because it's kind of short. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Would you bow in prayer with me over the word? God, thank you so much for your word towards us, God. It's a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, God. Now we open our heart to you, God. We open our mind to you and our spirit, God. Come and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go back and unpack this verse a little bit and see what we can take away and apply to our lives. Look at that first part of verse 10. He says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us. And so God is kind of sitting across the table from this rebellious, stubborn, obstinate son called Israel that he has. And, and he looks at him and says, you know, I've loved you. I, I want you to love me back. And then he asks them a couple questions. Don't, don't you all have one father? Haven't you all been created by the same God? You know, and I think if it were me across the table from, from, from God at that time, I, I'd, I'd kind of all of a sudden say, wow, God, that was random. I mean, where is this coming from, God? I'm not sure I get where you're going with this. You know, that seems like out of the blue. And so let's unpack it a little bit. So look at that first phrase. Has not one God created us? Hasn't the same God created all of you? So here's the idea. There is not a person that they would ever meet that was not created by God. There's not a person that you will ever meet that hasn't been created by God. And in the book of Genesis, it says that we were created in God's image, right? In the imago Dei, in God's image. And this is really important because what it says to every believer and what it really implies strongly even to, to non-believers is that every human being has intrinsic value, intrinsic worth before God. Everyone you ever meet is valuable to God. Everyone you live with everyone you work with, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone you will ever meet is stamped with the Imago Dei, with the image of God and is valuable to God. Now, in our human cultures, you know, sometimes we get that flipped upside down. Sometimes we have sort of value ranking systems, right? Um, think about our sports. We have our most valuable players, right? And then we have the people that we'd really like to see cut from the team. 
All right, how many of you were there, have been there you know, when you were young on the playground and they're choosing sides and the choosing teams and you're the last one to be picked? And some of us were the kid who was like, we're the last one left and, and the, the one whose turn it is to pick says, well, you can have them. Right? And they go, no, you can have them. No, no, really. I want to be nice to you. You can have them. Right? You don't have to raise your hand. But I bet you some of us were that kid, right? See, right? How, how valuable did you feel in that moment? So we have these ranking systems in our sports. And then on the job as well, we talk about um, some employees who are value-added employees. And then there's these other employees that are dead weight. <laughs> I can see that uh, I, I'm, you're really relating to what I'm, what I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> And then in our relationships as well, we have our friends, right? And then we have our best friends. And then we have our BFFs, right? That's our best friends forever. And then, and then we have our BFFLs. That's our best friends for life. And then there's our BFL, BFFLABs. That's our best friends for life and beyond. And then there's our BBFFTLEs. Y'all know what that is, don't you? Best, best friends for totally like ever. And we have these, these kind of spoken and sometimes unspoken ranking systems on which we place those around us according to their usefulness and value. And maybe sometimes that's okay. All right, I think we can all agree that maybe your relationship with your spouse should be more important than your relationship with your bowling buddy. Wow, I got one amen on that. Maybe we can all agree that your relationship with your children should be more important than your relationship with your hunting body. Oh, awesome. I think I need to preach more on that. But I want you to catch this. To God, everyone is equally valuable. Now, not everyone's equally fruitful. Right? Not everyone is equally faithful, but to God, everyone is equally valuable. God does not want to cut you from his team. Now, you can cut yourself, but God doesn't want to cut you from his team. And it's not like, you know, God's up there and the devil's over there and you're the last one to be picked. And, like, God doesn't say, hey, listen, you can have them. Yeah. Right? And the devil's over here going, no, God, actually, this one you can really have. Right? <laughs> It's not like that. God wants you on his team. And, and you know what? There'll never be a time when you're praying and God says, well, I've got to hang up on you because someone uh, I like more has just called. All right? God, God doesn't, that'll never happen to you. And God doesn't have some friends that he likes more than others. Now, there are some people who like God more than other people do, but God doesn't have friends he likes more than others. It's not like he's going through the congregation and saying, you know, okay, this one I like, this one, uh, this one over here, um, uh, this one over here. <laughs> God is not doing that, right? God doesn't have this ranking system as far as his love is concerned towards us. Uh, everybody is valuable to God. And you'll never encounter someone who is not valuable to God. And because they're valuable to God, that means, and it implies that they should be treated as though they're valuable to God. It doesn't matter if they look like you. 
or act like you or smell like you or smell worse than you. doesn't matter if they talk like you or, or think like you. God created them, and so they are valuable to God. And that means also that the person who is frustrating you the most right now is valuable to God. Now, how many of you had a name just pop in your head? No, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> that person is valuable to God. The person who's angering you the most is valuable to God. All right? And so, and by the way, if you're struggling with someone, you know, or a type of person, you know, that, that's really difficult to love, can I just encourage you, um, there may be someone who struggles with your personality too. So some of you, a light bulb just want to like, really? Wow. You mean someone could, yeah, there may be someone. So um, everyone is valuable to God. And so we look across at them and says, you know, don't you all have the same creator? And then look at the next phrase. Have we not all one father? He says, don't you all share the same God? And the fact that they had the same heavenly father, that they served the same God, was supposed to have implications for how they treated one another. It was supposed to have some real practical applications for their interpersonal relationship. God is saying to them, you know, just like I'm your heavenly father, and I want to bless you, and I want to protect you and show favor to you, I'm also your neighbor's heavenly father, and I want to love them and care for them and bless them and protect them. Uh, as much as I want to do those things for you. And, if, and everyone you look at and deal with on a daily basis has the same Heavenly Father as you do. And so God continues this conversation by asking them these questions. Isn't your neighbor created in my image just like you are? Aren't I a Heavenly Father to your neighbor as much as I am a father to you? Now, before we go on on this verse, I want to show you what this looks like in the New Testament, because this isn't just some obscure little verse packed away in some obscure book at the end of the Old Testament. This idea runs all through Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. Um, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the first six verses quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, and I hope this passage looks familiar to you. Yeah, I got one yes on that. How many of you remember I preached a series on Ephesians chapter 4 a while back? Any of you remember? A couple of you. How many of you remember what the series was called? I'll give you a hint. All right. Love, growth, serve. Ephesians chapter 4 serves as the basis for the entire vision that we have as a church. This is what uh, God says. This is what my church should look like. All right. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. All right, you want to live a life worthy of the calling you've received? You want Jesus to look at you when you reach heaven and say, You know what? You lived a worthy life. Well, he's going to show you how. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Say, that is some great relationship advice. You know, any family that does this is going to be the greatest family in the world to be in. And any church body that does this is going to be the greatest church to be in. And any city that, that, that is characterized by this will be the greatest city in the world to live in. 
humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. All these things have to do with how we treat other people. All to do with interpersonal relationships. So, so going on, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now look at that phrase, unity of the Spirit. It's not just unity around some human idea or some human endeavor. It's not a unity formed out of human effort. It's something greater. It's called unity of the Spirit. That is unity of the Holy Spirit, a unity created by the Spirit of God, created by the fact that the same Holy Spirit that lives in you also lives in the man next to you, the woman next to you. That same Holy Spirit lives in each of us. And so this unity should come rather naturally because it's of the Spirit. That is, it is produced by the Holy Spirit. So the same God living in you and working in you to form you into the image of Jesus and make you look more like Jesus is the same God living in your neighbor next to you who's working in them to make them look more like Jesus as well. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fail from, from time to time or that we've arrived. But it does mean that there is this love, this affinity, this unity, because the same God, the same Holy Spirit is living in each one of us. And then Paul goes on in the next verses to say the same thing seven or eight different ways. I love this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. One, 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 one. Right? Not two. Not two bodies. Not an older generation body and a younger generation body, right? I mean, it's not uh, a baby boomer body versus a Gen X body versus the millennial body versus the Generation Z body, right? It's just one body growing together in love. Not two hopes. There's not, there's not my hope and your hope. There's our hope. There's not two faiths. There's not uh, my faith and your faith. There's one faith that unites us, found in the Bible and the Scriptures. We have one faith. One, we have the same Lord, Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit living in us, and the same hope, the hope of the resurrection and life forever and ever with our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One, 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 one. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And God looks across the table and asks this rebellious son, you know, have, we, have you not all one Father? Don't you all have the same Creator? And so now let's look at the next part of the verse, verse 10. He says, Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of of our Father. So it's like God looks across the table and he's asking, you know, if you agree that, that, that all of you are created by one God, if you agree that I'm a father to all of you, then why are you treating each other the way that you do? And he has this issue with how they're treating one another. He looks across the table and says, you're being faithless towards one another. You're not treating one another right. The way you're treating each other, it's as though you think that they are not created in my image. You're treating others as though they're mere beasts. It's, it's as though you think I love you more than I love them. And, and this is hugely important because this is not just some academic idea. 
This has real-world consequences that affect you where you live. Because when, when I see the image of God on someone, when you see the image of God, the omago Dei, imprinted on someone, it has a profound impact on how you treat them. Now, we may disagree strongly sometimes with people. We may not see eye to eye on many important issues. But if I see the image of God in someone, there's a certain dignity that I'll treat them with, a certain baseline of respect and human dignity that comes from recognizing the imago Dei, the image of God in other people. And when society, and especially leaders in society, uh, fail to see the image of God in others and begin to act as though people are not created in God's image, it becomes easy then to mistreat people. It becomes easy to treat people like beasts. And it becomes easy to dehumanize people in pursuit of one's goals. And we can see examples of this throughout history. We look at the earliest ancient empires of the world, all the way through to Rome with the feeding people to lions for sport, to King Herod killing an entire town full of babies in pursuit of his goals, all the way down to today's day to, to Hitler and Stalin and other modern despots. When you ignore or try to erase the image of God, the Imago Dei on people, it becomes easy to abuse them and treat them like beasts. And God looks at the, across the table and says, you know, you're forgetting the Imago Dei. You're forgetting that I created everyone that you interact with. And as a result, you're not treating each other right. You're, you're being faithless towards one another. You know, I'm just wondering, too, uh, am I the only one that has noticed that our public discourse has declined significantly in civility? And I don't just mean over the last couple of weeks. I mean over a bunch of years here. I mean, to listen to some of the rhetoric that comes from some of our leaders in government and in media and in other places, you would think that those who disagree with them are some kind of less-than-human, soulless monsters that need to be eliminated. You know, and, and this has been kind of magnified right, by the development of technology. Remember 30 years ago, uh, these types of expressions were often just relegated to 30 minutes a day you know, on, on, on a newscast and in um, editorial pages and buried in letters to the editor, right? But now with social media, uh, everyone, everyone with an opinion has a megaphone, right? And, and I kind of wondered what it would be like if we treated people in real life like we treated them on social media. And so I've asked uh, Ron and Albert, they're going to help me to illustrate this. Uh, um, imagine with me for a minute, here they come, uh, and uh, they're in a grocery store. Now they're going to act just like normal people would act. All right. Well, that was like normal people, right? All right, now they're going to do the same scene again in the grocery store here, or coming out of the grocery store, and they're going to treat each other the way we would treat each other on social media. <laughs> All right. 
You know, God says, you know, you're acting faithless towards one another. But then look at the next thing he says. He says, you're profaning the covenant of your fathers. So now God's bringing the covenant of Abraham back into this again. Now, if I were sitting across the table from, from God at this point, you know, I might be confused. You might be confused. You know, God, how does the covenant with Abraham have anything to do with this, with our pers- interpersonal relationships? I mean, I see where it says God will bless us and multiply us. I see where it says, God, that you'll increase our boundaries. I see where it says all the nations of the earth will be blessed through us. But where does it say anything in this covenant with Abraham about relationships? Where does it say anything about how I'm treating anyone else? And, and God just looks across the table and, and, and says, you're violating, you're profaning, you're defiling the covenant with Abraham. And the reason that this is true is because of the very nature of what a biblical covenant is. A biblical covenant is made between God and people. And so the people who were being mistreated in this passage of Scripture were also in a covenant relationship with God. They were in the same covenant relationship with God. And so if you mistreat them, you are mistreating God. If you're faithless towards them, you're faithless towards God. So here's the idea. God is involved in all of our relationships in a greater way than I think any of us would like to admit. You can't separate how you treat others from how you treat God because there's something of God, the image of God, in every person. So it's impossible to wrong someone without wronging God as well. Impossible to sin against someone else without sinning against God as well. And so Jesus said it this way, whatever you have done to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. And whatever you have not done to the least of these, you have not done it me. So this is why the Apostle Paul told the Galatians that as we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And this becomes really important because, you know, I've heard a number of people over the years say things like, you know, Pastor Paul, uh, I just really love God, but I just have a difficult time loving people. And, and, you know, sometimes people have said that to me in jest, you know, not meaning that they don't want to love people, but, you know, sometimes there are some situations that are more difficult than others, and maybe there are some, some people who are more difficult to love than others, and maybe we, again, maybe we're that person, right? And, uh, so, uh, but I have had several times over the years where people have come to me in all seriousness, saying, you know, Pastor Paul, I really love God, I think God is great and awesome, but I just don't love people, it's just how God made me, and you just have to understand that, uh, I can't really love them, and I don't love this person. Or some have said, I'm just not loving that person. And You know, it's one thing to struggle and say, God, help me with this. This person did something, and and I'm struggling with that, and to say, help me. But when you reach the place where you just say, you know what? I'm just through with it. I hate that person. Okay. All right, I've had some people say that to me. And here's the thing. You can sit across the table from God all day long and try to explain to God how you really, really love him, but you just don't love people, you just really hate this person over here. You know, and, and you can go through the entire dictionary and the thesaurus, and you can say it in ten different languages. You can talk to your out of breath and blue in the face, trying to explain that to God, but he's just going to sit across the table from you and shake his head and say, no, 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 no. You do not love me and hate people. You do not love me and mistreat people. You do not love me and withhold love from people. God says it like this in, in John's letter, 1 John chapter 4. He says this, Dear friends, let us love 
one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You know what? The Christian church ought to be the most loving place on the planet. And you know, that doesn't mean that we're perfect or that there aren't times that we need to work some things through, but the process should be characterized by love. Did you know that the one thing, the one method that God has given to the world to tell whether or not we're the real deal, that we're disciples, is whether we love one another? Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, there may be some other evidences that God gives to us, things like living a life of holiness and sanctification and growing in, in faith, but to the world, the only way they can know that we're the real deal is if we love one another. I can remember sharing Christ a number of times with people who were a little bit resistant and, and they would stop. I remember one guy in particular on the construction site, after being resistant for a while, he stopped and said, you know, it, my grandmother was a real Christian and went on to tell me all about how much she loved people. Now, I'm sure she loved Jesus in many other ways, but to the, to the non-Christian, that's the one way that God has given them to know that we are the real deal. And I've had several other people do the same thing with me. You know, as I'm sharing Christ with them, someone will say, well, I knew this one guy and he's the real deal. And they would then go on to show me the evidence of that was how much love they were expressing towards other people. And so a Christian meeting ought to be the friendliest place that anyone goes to in their whole week. When they come on Sunday morning, this ought to be the friendliest place that they've ever been to. When they come on a Wednesday night or when they come to our small groups in Sunday school class, they ought to be saying, you know what? This is the friendliest, most loving place that I have been to all week, uh, except for maybe your home, right? And you know what? That's the vision that I believe that we are in the process of fulfilling and that God wants to fulfill through us in increasing ways. Love God and love others, right? Grow a relationship with God and others and serve God and serve the community. That's the vision that God has for us as the body of Christ, and that's the vision that God has for us as individuals. So would you stand with me? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to play this song.